Welcome to Empowered Conversations. I'm your host, Susie Petrozzi. This podcast will take you on a journey of personal growth and self-discovery through conversations with special guests that will inspire you to live the life of your dreams. Get ready now for an Empowered Conversation. Welcome everyone. My next guest is Josh Chiardi. I'm really excited to have Josh here with me today and I'll share a little um, about Josh. Um, Josh has worked in the pharmaceutical and medical device industry as an analyst and strategist. He has witnessed some mind-blowing advances in medical technology over the last 15 years, but is even more fascinated by ancient methods of healing the mind and body. His academic interest is in health economics, and he is in the final semester of a Master's of Public Health at University of Sydney. He also has a Bachelor of Commerce in Marketing and Organisational Behaviour and an Advanced Diploma in Marketing. Now, he's happiest when making a difference and believes that health economics helps humans on a massive scale. It all comes down to allocating limited health resources equitably and efficiently, and it's here that Josh reckons traditional healing modalities will play a role. Now, Josh understands from experience that taking charge of one's health is a terrific way to achieve empowerment. On his journey, he's experienced growth, and expansion far beyond what he thought was possible. One of his favourite sayings is, the slow way is the fast way. And as an antidote to a busy life, Josh enjoys slowing down through meditation, yoga, reading and cooking. Josh, a big welcome to you. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Thanks, Susie. Excited to uh, be talking to you today. (laughs) You know, when I read that, I get steeped into two things, you know, when I, and one is the the science side, because you do work in the world of science and analysis and strategy. And then the other one is um, the spirituality side, the ancient healing methods. So the question that comes to me immediately is how, at what point in your life, Josh, did these two kind of cross over? Yeah, good, good question, and um, tough, tough one to, uh, to get started <laughs> with. But yeah, um, so, so um, look, it, it was a, um, definitely a, um, a sort of struggle uh, internally and, and externally for me. Um, you know, working in a world that was sort of dominated by by Western science, and um, you know, it was a, a, I'll say a very atheist sort of um, uh, uh, industry to work in. Um, and I've I've sort of grown up. Um, with a, um, a, a as a, as an atheist, but with a, a sort of Catholic upbringing um, through a Catholic school system, so um, there, there is, I guess, there always was the um, possibility of uh, the, the two worlds um, colliding pretty early on. And, and um, in terms of um, you know spirituality, and, and um, it, it was something that was uh, on and off for me at, at various points in my life. So early on, I was um, I, I was sort of religious um, growing up, and then um, as I got older and started to uh, learn about science and become fascinated with science, the um, spirituality and the conflict, I suppose, between those two worlds started to happen. Um, uh, so sort of before, I guess, getting into to working in that space, um, and so so I had that. Uh, I guess tussle between um, spirituality and, and science uh, from early on, and, and was used to it. 
Um, and I, I suppose I fluctuated back and forth. Um, when I entered the work world, I was very much a, um, a staunch atheist in any sort of mention of um, <laughs> spirituality or, or religion. And I, I do consider them to be sort of slightly different and the same, um, but we can probably get into that later. Um, but yeah, any sort of, um, I guess, talk or, or, or um, sharing of spirituality at work was a bit, um, it seems a bit out of place, even not, not just for myself, but others. And, and I always did wonder, because I've worked with um, people in, in this industry from various uh, faiths and, and, and backgrounds, and um, I always did wonder and, and was fascinated with how people do reconcile their faith with their um, scientific beliefs. So really, it was a, um, for me, it was a journey of expansion and, and um, expanding my own uh, <laughs> boundaries, I, I suppose, because mm-hmm. it was really um, my own restriction that, that was sort of limiting my <laughs> beliefs. Um, and I think the, um, the the key message is that both worlds can coexist with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that if you sort of look, you know, um, further and further and, and try to expand your, your consciousness and your understanding on both sides, the spiritual side and the scientific side, I think you'll eventually get to a point where you can no longer explain it. Um, and, you know, as long as you pursue the, the quest of knowledge on, on both areas, I think um, you're going to be able to live with, with both spirituality and, and knowledge in your life. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I love that. I mean, you know, it's it's not about having – first of all, thank you for sharing that. It's, um, I, I think that sometimes we – you know, like from what you're hearing you share that, I think that we sometimes unconsciously, unknowingly keep the two worlds apart for fear of whatever, fear of unknown, fear of whatever that may be, right? Um and and could be condition, could be you know re- religious fee, um, could be w- whatever that is. But hearing you say how you you know you're saying expanding the need to expand boundaries in order for the two to coexist together, I just want to touch on that a little bit more. What does expanding boundaries look like for you in order for these two worlds to coexist together? And then. What continues to happen, change, shift in your life as the boundaries continue to expand? The short answer is, is keep learning um, and, and try to sort of, I, I guess, um, take on a lifelong journey of learning um, and uh, expanding the boundaries on, on both sides. So I'll start with the sort of scientific side is, is really just um, it's about your own understanding of the universe and, and how the universe sort of came to be really. And um, if you start to sort of, uh, you know, expand, um, start, you know, begin with how, how we can be as a, as a um, you know, human race. Um, and then also look at how our, how world came to be and, and came to be in existence. Um, but also looking outwards and, and what's out there and, and what's beyond our sort of, uh, you know, our world and our, our, um, galaxy and, and then what makes up the universe and the cosmos. And, uh, eventually there's, there's going to be a point where, um, the level of human understanding stops. Um, and it's about getting comfortable with that and, and um, understanding that there is a, um, and we will continue as a, as, as a race to, um, discover more and more about 
you know, every day we'll, we'll learn more and more about how we came to be and, and sort of where we sit in the cosmos, in the universe. Um, but, but that's itself a, a journey of, of expansion and, and knowledge and, and um, we can sort of take part in that by um, uh, sort of joining and, and, and expanding our own knowledge of that area. Um, and then on the spiritual side, I mean, I guess that's even more of an endless journey. And it's, it's a journey that I sort of took up a lot more recently than the, um, the scientific ones. So um, I think that um, spiritual journey is, is um, you know, never ending, really. And, and, and you can keep expanding and keep uh, building. So it's really about, um, you know, finding what sort of, system of uh you know spirituality you you sort of um that, that fits with you i mean there's um there's a whole bunch of them but um it, it's really the art of um or, or the, the the pursuit of, of really understanding um what our purpose is and, and how we came to be so there are various spiritual pursuits and um it, again it's it's something you can um study and study and, and every day of your life and you'll continue to learn, um, you know, every day. So um, that, that's what I mean by expansion mm. is, is learning. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And how does your, Josh, how does your life continue to change as you expand? Like what do you notice happens for you and for those around you? Yeah, I guess, um, again, another good question Um but we all we all have uh, struggles with um, things like anxiety. I mean, uh, you know, uh, stress. Uh, it's just part of the modern world. I mean, um, another thing is um, distractions and and just the way we live with uh, lots of mobile devices. Um, I think more mobile devices than people, and um, you know, uh, constant. I guess um, competition for for your own attention. There really is this. Um, recipe for for us to get swept up and 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 really um distracted and and caught in our work and and um i suppose this journey has really for me been a a, um and you've mentioned it in my bio an an antidote to that style of living Mm. um it's kind of uh an alternative way of living um and a pretty good alternative too um, because it helps you sort of cope with being bored. It helps you cope with uh, people. And, um, you know, the answer is always always within you. Um, helps you cope with stress, helps you cope with anxiety. Um, and really just, um, I suppose, the, the, the best way to sum it up is, is really I, I've um, reached a point of, uh, you know, sort of relaxation and, and being able to sort of um, deal with my own stress and emotions that I didn't even think was possible, even um, mm. uh, beyond points, you know, when, when I was a child. So, um, yeah, really the um, the journey is really never ending and, and you can really um, get yourself to a point where you can deal with modern day stress and, mm. and anxiety. Um, if you embrace spirituality and, and really opening up to, um, to your inner sort of purpose. Mm. And yeah, Josh, when you, you know, when you were talking about 
early on um, speaking to, um, you know, how you're expanding boundaries and what that means. One of the things you touched on, you know, that you can, it can help you get closer to your purpose as well. And I just want to talk a little bit more about that because I, I'm constantly uh, thinking about that. I'm constantly feeling into that. I'm constantly checking in around is this in my best interest? Is this in my higher good to do this, to embark on this or whatever it is? It doesn't need to be work. But it can, And a lot of it is around really, you know, like what you say is is kind of just, well, for me, the word that comes, it's culling, culling, the endless culling, those pulls, those hooks for my attention, which requires a lot of discipline. Um, and, and I'm sure you would agree with that discipline around, you know, uh, really uh, disciplined to stay with ourselves. Like that's that's probably the most challenging thing at the moment. But one of the things what that I wanted to ask you is I'm sure that through all of this you have refined or you've come to know your purpose on a deeper level. Yeah, yeah. Um, great question. I'm glad you asked that one too because, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very important one. I think um, – the, finding one's purpose is, a, um, you know, it's really, a, I think I, I'd recommend it's an important thing for anyone to do as soon as possible. Um, and, and it's really a lifelong journey. I mean, um, the Japanese actually call it uh, ikigai. So it's, um, and I, I don't speak Japanese, but I think the rough translation is um, your reason for getting up in the morning. And um, it doesn't have to be a big noble sort of, uh, thing. I mean, it can be as simple as um, I, I like to uh, get up and tend to my garden so I can um, feed myself. Or you know, it can be something as simple as that. Um, but it's really one's um, reason for getting up in the morning, and it can change too and evolve, um, as you mentioned. So, um, and it does. My, my, mine certainly does. But it always, um, it always sort of centers around or on. Uh, helping people, I suppose, mm. um, uh, as best I can. Um, and, and, you know, that, that has changed through, um, different jobs and, and sort of different, um, kind of, uh, <laughs> different jobs bring different ways to, to help people. And, um, you also find, um, that you're better at certain things than others. So, um, you know, for, for me, it's always been helping people, but also, um, I think, Going a step further, it's helping people connect to their sort of true self and and, and better self, and um, just become better versions of, of their own self. Mm. Um, and I guess it's just through sharing my own sort of journey and, and things that have helped me in the past. Because um, you know, I've, I have had a um, you know a bit of journey to, to sort of get to where I am. Um, and uh, it turns out, you know, the problems that I've had along the way are, are pretty common with um, with humans, especially in this world. Mm. So, um, so really, just just helping, um, you know, it, it does sound a bit corny, but it it, it feels good to help people. Um, mm. Mm. Josh, like, you're reminding us, like you're reminding me, you're reminding us all that sometimes we can overthink purpose. Sometimes we can, um, yeah overthink it in in by way of you know what is my role here in the world in this world which is you know great big picture thinking but then when we can focus on the small things throughout the day 
on how we can, I don't know, make a difference. For you, it's make a difference, help. Um, for me, it's that um, if I think about my dad, my dad would be for he, his whole life's purpose is how to fix something, how to solve a problem, right? <laughs> and he's really good at working with his hands. And, you know, his motto used to be, his motto I'd say still is, and this is like Serbian to English. If you don't, if you don't, uh, if you haven't got anything to worry about or think about, put a pebble in your shoe so it can really get to you. <laughs> I yeah, know it's yeah. really random, but I guess the point of it is that, you know, it like you said, it can be as small as as small as you know go, going into your garden or. Um, helping my children through the day like now that we're homeschooling again like that's that's my purpose at this point um for this week or for today and yeah you know just how how you break it down and um how you speak to it really it just feels good and right because i wonder if from that place for you from that place, like for you, from that simple place around what is the smallest thing I can do to make a difference, whether that gives you a bigger reason for or, or meaning for being here. Yeah, yeah, and and that could be sort of yeah, exactly. It could be it could be a tiny thing. I mean, it could be the smallest gesture in in a day, and that could. Um, have a ripple effect that <laughs> ripples out to, to um, more people than you would even know. So, um, mm. you know, really uh, um, an accumulation of small things. But yeah, um, that that concept is, a, um, and I've had the privilege of, of working for two Japanese companies now, and it is a very Japanese way of um, looking at life. And and, and um, certainly, um, somebody could be, say, a chef or um, a furniture maker, but they mm. approach their work with that. That sense of passion that this is um, this is why they get up in the morning to to be the best at it and to really um, uh, put put all their effort into it with um, with passion and and that's what um, that's why they get up in the morning and that's why they have such a, a, a sort of enjoyment for life. There are other factors as well, of course, and um, yeah, I'm sure we can go into this mm. um, podcast. One of the things that you're pursuing at the moment is the Masters of Public Health. How has your your experience, your own journey, navigating stress, navigating anxiety, how has that now um, helped you or how is it helping you to approach or to think about aspects of public health? Because you and I have had conversations around that. Um, I come from a mental health background. I have been around hospitals um, in the past for many years, you, and you know, you know, you, you know the pulse of the hospitals and the heartbeat because you've worked. But I'm just curious about, given your own journey, given the scientific background, given um, you know your your spiritual openness now. How do you see the challenges now in the health system and I suppose from your vision or from from what you're continuing to learn, where do you hope and how do you hope things can change? I know I've just thrown a big doozy, but I know you can do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, is a, that is a big question and it, it, it's really um, – Look, there, there are so many layers to this, and I'm, I'm actually glad you asked because it does kind of um, 
kind of touches on some of your previous questions too about mm. spirituality and science and how they come together. So, um, so yeah, so I actually, um, this is a, my, my master's is in public health. Um, and, um, you know, quite a timely, uh, time to be doing it. Um, in the midst <laughs> exactly. of a, um, a global pandemic. Right. Um, interestingly, I, um, I was sort of on this journey before that. Um, I was um, interested in, in health economics before that due to my um, previous work as an analyst at um, a major pharmaceutical company. Mm. Um, uh, and so I was always um, you know, interested in, in public health. So um, when I say public health, I guess the best way to um, think of that succinctly is just um, population health. So um, treating more than one person at a time. Mm. Um, uh, and um, really, um, I guess going into this masters even before the pandemic, I was expecting my um, the, the the world of you know science to be um, become even more of a um, sort of, I suppose dogmatic um, way of approaching science uh, in in the work that I do, mm-hmm. um, and that would be I'd be sort of more locked into the the scientific method and, and the scientific approach um, and and how wrong I was. I mean, I actually, um, I started the degree and um, I started to learn about, um, I, I guess the biggest um, thing to me was that um, I've grown up in Australia and, and been fortunate to work in a, or sorry, to, to grow up in a um, country where there's, where we do have cutting edge medical technology available to, to everyone or, or to most people. Mm. Um and that there is a, a significant health gap, which I, I do need to mention, um, between uh, you know First Nations people and, and non-First Nations people. Um, however, broadly speaking, um, we, we are fortunate to live in a country where we do have a lot of good healthcare. However, um, what I was uh, quick to learn in this degree is that um, not everywhere in the world can rely on the latest medicines, the latest hospital technology and, and the latest um, kind of cutting-edge hospitals. So um, public health needs to um, pretty much uh, include everything that it can and, and um, the approach that you take, it, it, you know, it, it is still very um, based around Western science and, and um, evidence, certainly the mm. epidemiology side, but um, you do need to look at things that... Uh, can can um, help a culture and a population beyond um, you know what medicine can do, and and that really involves um, you know things. So um, you know the, the good thing about this being a, um, a sort of online envi- online learning environment mm-hmm. that we have um, students from other countries and and some students who are in China are actually saying that there's now public health programs in China where they've got free access to yoga classes through an app. So um, that, that's one example of how, um, mm. you know, spiritual practices um, yeah. are being rolled out on a, on a um, population scale, um, for, you know, and I, I'd argue that yoga has physical and well, most people would argue that yoga has physical and mental health benefits. Mm. Um, and, and this is one example of a whole country um, actually, you know, adopting it on a, on a massive scale, so, you know, for, for public health benefit. Um, the second element there is that um, because this is the world of um, medical statistics and really analysing those statistics and and really trying to prove an outcome, you also learn 
what kind of things are impossible to prove. Um, and there is certain, um, you know, stuff that you can do to really help your own health that, that would never work in a large scale scientific experiment. Um, just because it's, uh, just due to the way that you would measure it, um, and the subjectivity. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I know what can be proven, but I also know what can't be proven. So, um, I, that's opened my mind, um, more than anything. And, and, and this is why, um, you know, I, I've sort of, I suppose, doubled down on the spiritual practice, um, even though I've, uh, you know, really, really um, strengthened my knowledge on the scientific side. Because before this, I'd, I'd come from business and, and, mm. and the world of commerce. So I was always weaker on the, on the scientific side, working in the industry that I work in. Mm. Josh, can you speak a bit more to, to that, to what you were just saying? Um, um, what's like within health, what's impossible to be proven? Like, just so I can understand a yeah. little bit more what you mean yeah 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 it is a it is a really hard hard concept to, to grasp but um mm. basically within science you're, you're working um within you know there's always a um an error margin in statistics and um science uh, i suppose has to be proven statistically for it to be um validated in in um, you know, say let, let's take a product. Um, <laughs> vaccines are topical at the moment, so mm-hmm. um, we won't we won't go with one of those. <laughs> um, say we, we we'll go for a, a product that's lowering blood pressure. Uh-huh. Um, needs to go through a scientific experiment, and um, for it to be proven, it needs to be statistically proven as well. And within statistics, there is an error margin. Um, so some differences are so subtle that. Um, they don't necessarily uh, – they, they do prove it that, that there is a difference, but they don't meet the scientific criteria for uh, and the stati- statistical criteria for um, proving uh, such a difference. So um, the way to sort of explain that is in, in the world I work in, you do see a lot of uh, great new products that don't actually ever get registered because uh, they work. Doctors can see that they work um, in patients, um, mm. but they don't actually have the numbers or the um, enough people with the condition um, to, to be able to do a study that um, can statistically prove that it works. Mm. Um, there, there's that element, and there's also the element of um, and this especially applies with with mental health and, and psychology. Um, is that a lot of uh, mental health conditions and, and human stuff is is subjective and, and very hard to measure and very hard to um, it, you know it requires uh, someone who's you know a psychologist who's trained in psychoanalyst to actually um, even notice an improvement in, in a human. So um, that stuff is just. We just don't have ways to to measure that yet. However, I mean, um, you know, if we if we look at things like mindfulness, um, mm. we're starting to see that um, we're noticing. You know, you can see changes in the brain um, uh, in long long term meditators, or or in um, you know when you hook a um, fMRI scanner up to a um, a Buddhist monk, for instance, you can actually see changes in in different areas mm. of the brain when they meditate. So mm. um, that that is actually catching up too. So um, we are starting to 
develop ways to to measure this, and and it's it's fascinating wow. to see the science catch up mm. with the um with all this. So yeah, um, fifteen twenty years ago, you know, um, mindfulness wasn't as um as as yeah well well proven in in the world yeah. of science as it is today. Yeah, that's right. So so given given how hard and sometimes impossible, um you know with, with the margin that you were talking about well, what does that mean for some of this for some of um these alternate uh or complement or, or complementary therapies that people use outside of hospitals and some swear by them and for some it's really you know made a huge difference in their lives um and that can range anything from um i don't know acupuncture to um, kinesiology, chiropractic, although chiropractic is an allied health, so probably maybe not as alternate. Um, but you know what I mean. Maybe even okay. Let's go yeah. really left field and go horse therapy, right? For some yeah. or, or dog therapy. And I know that they're more widely used in children's hospitals. But I'm just thinking within give it like given that given what's impossible to prove. What does that mean for public health? And will public health catch up? You know, in in terms of, is this something that's happening now, slowly, or? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, again, another one, um, another great question, and, and I'm glad you asked that because I think, um, look, I, I, um, I, and I would say any anybody should be skeptical of anything, whether it comes from Western medicine or Eastern medicine or, or wherever, um, if it's sort of. Um, supposed to heal you I, I suppose you should approach it with a um, an air of skepticism and, and um, ask yourself and ask um, I suppose the person who's sort of um, talking to you about it you know um, has this been tested where has this been tested and, and which conditions is this um, supposed to work in but I suppose um, it's really about belief I mean um, Nothing's going to work if you're not open to it. Um, mm. I, I'd like to link this back to Western science because um, it, it reminds me of the placebo effect. And, mm-hmm. and um, uh, if you if you have a look in clinical trials, you know what, what's fascinating is that when um, you know you, you take a drug um, in a clinical trial, that it, it it fixes the problem. What's even more fascinating is that some people who take the placebo still experience a improvement in that problem. Mm. Um, so, and they're taking a sugar tablet. So, mm. is that enough proof to at least believe that uh, this naturopathy or homeopathy or whatever it is mm. that somebody's recommending to you is at least worth? Adding on, I, and I'd, I'd never tell anybody to, to um, ditch their, their doctor's advice. Um, if you don't like what your doctor's telling you, maybe get a second opinion from mm-hmm. another doctor. But um, certainly don't don't drop the doctor's advice. But but by all means, discuss it with your doctor and incorporate um, that into whatever you're doing um, and believe in it. Because um, look, um, going back to that um, sort of placebo effect, you know. The, the human body is an amazing thing and, and, and you do sort of, um, yeah, there is more to it than just taking a drug or taking a tablet, which switches something on or switches something off in the body, essentially. Mm. Um, you know, there, there's a whole lot more to it than that. And, and really, um, if you can do 
it's all about doing everything you can and, and, and really believing. Um, you know, and that's, um, and then you convince yourself, I think, um, uh, that that's really what, and I know your podcast Susie is about empowerment. And I think that's it. It's, it's really about, um, you know, doctors, uh, yeah, it's absolutely necessary to be listening to your doctor. Mm. Um, but empowerment comes from also taking things into your own hands and, and really, um, you know, believing in, in, um, you know, whatever it is that you want to supplement um, your your doctor's advice with, yeah. So mm. those alternative therapies, um, yeah, just just believing and and not necessarily pushing it away because the science hasn't proven it yet. Yeah, I think that's the key. Yeah. Um, the science may not have proven it yet, but um, I, and um, I want to sort of bring this back to public. Mm. Um, you, you did sort of um, ask what public health's kind of answer to that is, and. And look, public health doesn't just look at um, interventions. Public health looks at populations. And, um, you know, I've been really fascinated with, um, uh, they're called the blue zones, um, which mm. are, um, and it sounds like you've heard of them, Susie. Um, um, just a side note, I've watched Netflix um, with my kids and Zach Efron, the, okay. <laughs> the actor, yes. he yes, went into so. the blue zone. So that's my take on it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've been fascinated with the Blue Zones for so long and, mm. and um, I watched the Zac Efron thing about a week ago. My wife told me about it. She kept saying, you got to watch this thing with Zac Efron. <laughs> there you go. And I'm like, why, 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 Zac Efron? And then I finally sat down and, yeah, it was about the Blue Zones. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, um, basically they are um, a, a sort of, um, I think there's, there's sort of five uh, cities um, across the world where, they have the highest proportion of centenarians. So this is mm. people who are living beyond 100. Um, and I think they've actually gone and then cross-referenced and done some analysis and expanded it out to seven locations. But the key thing is that, um, look, they, um, they're not doing anything sort of special. Um, they're living a very uh, basic human life. Um, I think the, the, the common sort of characteristics um, are really, um, you know, they, they mostly um, plant-based. They do eat some meat, but it, it's mostly plant-based. They have a very strong social uh, sort of community and, and um, social support network. Um, they eat a lot of legumes. They do moderate physic, physical activity every day. So this is sort of two or three walks a day. Um, so they have, um, and another one of them, um, linking back to an earlier question, is is that um, sense of purpose in life, that, mm. that ikigai, the Japanese call it, mm. um, is another one of the characteristics of the Blue Zone countries. So um, so through public health you know, um, and, and epidemiology and um, studying populations, you can actually um, find answers to, to problems mm. um, that, aren't so new and, and, and um, the, the solutions aren't so new. They're actually, in fact, very old solutions. Um, mm. It's just modern modern technology that, or, or modern um, methods of data analysis that are allowing us to kind of map that out. And that's what that's what really fascinates me. Yeah, wow. It's very, it is fascinating. And it is, it's also exciting, like when we dwell in the possibility of, I used the term dwell from one of my previous interviews um, and I just – it stayed with me because the minute we say even dwell in possibility, so much more opens up. But 
like it's just exciting in terms of what is possible. And you know what that makes me think, and I'm really curious about what you might um, say to this, Josh. If we look at the current situation with um, the epidemic, you know, like the pandemic, um, COVID and, and you know, we're in lockdown at the moment in Sydney, so um, – that it's so much at the forefront for us all um, and the whole vaccination and the need to be vaccinated, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, what I'm curious, just from what, like if I ask you this question, what might you imagine or what might you envision will change from a public health, um, I guess, perspective, given what we're going through now in I don't know, five years to, to come or even ten years in in – I guess in a in a more improved and maybe empowered way. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I'll start with the sort of um, I guess practical sort of mechanical elements. I mean, mm. um, I think um, look, social distancing. Um, this was something that so there's so many people who have um, immunosuppressed. Um, or reasons for why they're immunosuppressed, whether it's medication that they're on for a condition or just a condition itself that causes them to, to um, need to distance. Um, there's also a whole lot of people who, um, you know, as we know, um, it's, you know, uh, uh, very bad if they get the flu or, or you know, things like um, common cold. Um, you know, vulnerable populations can still end up in hospital and unfortunately die from from getting common illnesses. So I think um, what we're going to be seeing is that there's certain measures we can take in life and in the way we uh, move about the world we live in, you know, on a sort of um, local level, but also a global level. Um, there's going to be sort of probably precautions that will need to stick around for good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think um, the whole world certainly seems to be... Um, now very uh, kind of almost expert on on like epidemiology measures and and the way um, you know public health works. So I think um, this is going to be sort of um, a, a much more informed uh, public that that um, in the way they uh, interpret and digest health information. Mm. And I think um, just just very recently we've seen the way um, information around health coming from various sources, um, uh, politically on one hand and um, on the health side on the other hand and and, um, how confusing that can be even for people who are informed. Mm. Um, I I think it's going to really really be a challenge um, but also uh, misinformation will be, I suppose, the key sort of um, the key thing we have to deal with, and, mm-hmm. and I think um, everyone's going to have to. And I think people are really, really starting to get good with um, being able to decipher, you know, and, and decide for themselves what information to believe and what not to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think governments and, and social media companies certainly do have a lot to answer for and a, a big role to play as well. Mm-hmm. But I think. Um, the people's, uh, you know, the, the, the people know sort of, sort of what to, yeah, <laughs> how to how to decide, um, you know, filter the right information through. It, it's just about um, it's coming from so many angles and from so many different sources that um, it, it's really about 
uh, framing, and 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 this is where we um, probably need to do a bit more education to the public about um, yeah where where to get their um, their info from. Mm, yeah, it's really interesting. So that's from a practical and mechanical, as you were saying, point of view. What about um, I don't know. What about socially, psychologically? What's your sense on that? Yeah, glad you asked that one um, because I think that's this is what's made everybody realise the, the social connection that we miss. Um, mm. And I, I, I think once once this is all sort of over, I think we're going to um, really come to appreciate the social uh, connections that we have and and, and the value of. Um, face-to-face human social interaction. I think that's the, um, that's the, a, a huge thing that makes us human that um, mm. a lot of us didn't realize uh, how much of an impact it would have until it was taken away. Yeah. Um, a, a good little analogy I, I like to use is um, playing chess. I mean, um, playing chess versus someone over the computer on the other side of the world versus playing chess across the table um you know they're two different games one is mm. you know you're reading a whole bunch of rich social and and um human sort of cues um from the other side from the other person and um that's an enjoyable sort of thing that we like to do and, and that we um that we really sort of um you know get get satisfaction out of and i think um when that's taken away from us by being locked down, we really notice it. And, and um, mm. I, I think, I guess, doing those things, playing the board games, sitting around with your friends, uh, you know, having, um, you know, singing, playing guitar, um, playing cards or whatever, um, that kind of stuff is, is, you know, what our parents used to do, but I think um, a lot of that yeah. should come back and we'll, we'll, we'll need to come back. You know the simple things. Mm. <laughs> Just before this um, this lockdown, we we um, we sort of felt that it was coming, and we bought a few um, board games and card games that could be done with with two. It's just my wife and I. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, definitely once once things open up, you know that kind of stuff. Um, mm. You know the stuff that used to occupy um, our parents and grandparents' time. Um, I think that's what we need to do more of. Um, yeah. Less less cafes where people are sitting around you know on a laptop by themselves and more cafes where they're playing chess or, or playing a board game um, mm. that kind of stuff exists in I a lot of that. Asian countries and and you know it'd be cool to cool to see that kind of thing um, more and more of that kind of thing in Sydney mm. or in Australia yeah mm. I love that vision yeah I love that vision um, and Josh, what about you? What about your vision for your life? Where do you see yourself? You know, what's your vision for your life here? Yeah, look, um, <laughs> uh, t- tough, tough one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, for me and, and, and for my life, I think um, it is really about finding that ikigai and, and mm. um, finding out what that is because I still don't believe I've quite nailed it yet. Mm. Um, it, it is still definitely um, about helping people and about, I suppose, helping people who have a similar um, sort of uh, life to me and, and um, a very high energy person. So um, I always like to be busy and doing something. So mm. um, for me, it's about helping people slow down and appreciate the slow arts and the, the slow pursuits in life um, and um, 
so so really um you know in the, in in a work sense um just continue my work in in public health and 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 what i'm doing and and that's um if i simplify it it's just getting you know new new medical technology that you know good stuff um mm. into um to, to as many people as possible um you know in the most sort of equitable fashion so um you know that that's my sort of the way I can apply that purpose to my work. Mm. Um, but then outside of work, it's it's really just um, sharing the things that have helped me along the way mm. um, with anyone who, who will really listen. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, my, one of the things, and this is going to be a very very unpopular statement, um, but I've, I've um, I'm a coffee lover, but I gave up coffee, and and that was a huge um, huge huge kind of. Uh, Kind of change in, in my anxiety yeah. levels and my my sleep, yeah. um, and I recommended that to my brother, who um, genetically has the same predisposition to me. And sure enough, he said to me, "Look, you know, two weeks later, it was really hard, but my mm-hmm. reflux got better, my sleep got better, mm-hmm. my anxiety got better, but <laughs> eventually he got back on the coffee." But you know, um, but he's had that you encouraged him, yeah. Yeah, and I'm just happy to sort of share the message and, and yeah. to hear that it's working. You know, mm. So, mm. Um, so that's it for me. It's really about yeah. embracing the simplicity. Um, I love that. Yeah, yeah. I and, and thank you for sharing that and for for grounding us back in that. Like you know, you're coming from this medical technology background, and you know, like you said, mind blowing advances. But then it's like back to basics. And how can you instill that? How can we all instill that in our day to day life? I know on my morning walks, I what I find really grounding is seeing regular people on that walk who um, older than me, and you know, they're retired, and I just. I love speaking to them because they ground me and they use my first name in, in sentence, like we might exchange, I don't know, five sentences and they use my name like twice or three times and there's something incredibly grounding. It's, yeah, they, they get back, they remind me of the basics and that can really be a pivotal foundation for having um, a fulfilling and meaningful life. And you've been speaking to that, you know, you've been speaking to how you've allowed the science and the, and, and the spirituality to be friends <laughs> in your own life. And I think that speaks to many, it's certainly my own life, um, how they can play in the, back, in, in the playground and create something fun together. Um, Josh, are there any other, anything else that kind of comes to you before we um, – um, before we finish our empowered conversation, no, no, that's um, that, that's actually a, a great way to put it. It's, it's let them be friends. Um, I um, I've never heard that, and <laughs> I, I'm going to use that one actually. But I think um, I've, I, you've really hit the nail on the head. I mean, um, there's plenty of uh, spiritual people who are also kind of experts at, at, at science. I mean, um, the one that springs to mind to me, and if you're on um, Instagram, uh, follow Deepak Chopra. Um, mm. and uh, watch some of the stuff and read some of the stuff that he posts and, and um, you'll see that the two worlds can coexist, uh, mm. <laughs> yeah, happily. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Susie. Thank you, Josh. Really appreciate this time. Thanks for joining me today on Empowered Conversations. Subscribe to the show now and then head over to my Facebook page, Susie Petrozzi, 
for free personal growth and self-discovery tools that you can use today to be present, be powerful and be on purpose. See you next time for Empowered Conversations. Conversations.